Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back to the Red Club podcast. Okay, I've got my good friend Drew here, Drew Coleman. He is awesome. Um, so a lot of you probably know him as a competitive USPSA shooter, but behind the scenes, he's a chief range officer and volunteers his time at matches and a match director for one of my favorite match direct, uh, matches, the Endless Summer Blast, now Alabama Sectionals. Drew, what other credentials have I missed here? Uh, no, you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> You've been around the industry for a while, right? Shooting USPSA. I've actually only been doing this for four years uh, this month. Four years this month. Oh my gosh. Well, happy anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh man. Um, We're going to get into all of that, but I actually want to dive into the epic annual uh, Endless Summer Blast because it's coming up this fall at Dothan Gun Club. Um, And you've been helping run this match since its inaugural match or afterwards? Um, I think... I think I started helping with the third time he ran it. I think he ran it once before, then I started shooting. And then in the intervening year between the second and third time, that's when I got involved with, uh, with Dan and Dothan Gun Club, uh, helping with matches. And then I started helping to actually run it. Um, you know, first with just helping build the match uh, and helping him actually get it going the day of. And then later I started designing stages and then last year and this year I've designed all 10 stages. And then he and I, and a couple other volunteers will put it on the ground the weekend before. And then the day before I'll help him with getting the range prepped. Um, this is a lot of work that goes into that. And then the day of when we're actually running it, uh, Dan and I will be both running around, uh, you know, just trying to keep things running. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, yeah, you are officially the title of match director this year, right? I, w- I would say co-match director, but yes. Okay. Okay. But what are the biggest like differences or changes, like you said, where there's a lot of work that goes into a match, but you've got a little bit more responsibility, right? Yeah. And you've got more investment in it personally, because, you know, you, you spend um, weeks and months uh, leading up to it, dealing with sponsors um, designing the stages, getting people signed up for the match. Uh, this year we filled it up and we actually added additional spots, but I, I deal with the registrations. So I deal with, you know, people who, uh, you know, they haven't paid. So I got to ha- chase them down, make sure that they get paid up so they can actually shoot, uh, that kind of deal. So when you, when you, the more you get involved with something, the more you invest in it. And so it, it becomes a little stressful becomes your baby um you have to change squad one by the way to team pickles or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah i forgot to do that when i reserved the squad i was busy and uh forgot to do that (laughs) so for those who don't know we're gonna have our super fun squad it's not a super squad but drew andy jessica um god who else is on that squad it's like the whole crew and they're gonna be upset that i didn't name them now but it's like an uh ethan yeah, it's gonna be epic. Yeah, I'm actually going into practice score right now. I'm gonna change that. 
I can't wait. I can't wait. So um, the other thing that people don't know, right, is that it's a level one match, but it really is uh, run more like a major, we call it like a mini major match. Um, so, you know, what are the principles of running a level one, but treating it as a little bit, you know, bigger size match? So you have to be more careful with what, I, with what you're doing for stage design, because at my typical monthly match, I generally, I know who's coming. I know my local shooters and I know, okay, I can get away with doing this. I can get away with, you know, with certain things, you know, uh, certain target placement where I know that they're not going to do stupid things. But when I've got 110 people, most of whom I don't actually know, I have to make everything as uh, straightforward as possible that somebody, so that somebody who's never been to one of my matches could walk up to the stage and have the same experience as somebody who shoots my matches every single month. Cool. So I have to make sure that the stage briefs are written very clearly. Uh, I have to make sure that the stages are built properly. So I'm, I'm, it's kind of a level two match and as far as the build and everything. I just don't have dedicated staff and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, so super fun. And have you seen um, the people who shoot it like change throughout the years? I mean, we still have our core group but have you seen new people come in and come and go? Um, we we kind of have the same core that shoots it every year. And then we usually, that's about, that's probably about half the match is people who regularly make it to the uh, monthly matches. Uh, things are a little bit different over the last year because of uh, COVID and the economy and all that. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot more names this year that I don't recognize, but it's cool. also right before nationals at Talladega. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are treating it as a tune-up right before they go shoot nationals. Absolutely. Absolutely. You uh, put a post on Facebook recently about ideas for stages and, you know, my C-class advice was steal, steal everywhere, <laughs> steal plays, steal targets, spinners, all of it. That was a no. It was no from Drew. Uh, so the, the, the plates, no, because I, I hate steel plates in general. I love them. <laughs> uh, they, they have their place. It's just not in USPSA. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so as far as the Endless Summer Blast wrapping that up, um, how many new surprises are in store for shooters? Um, well, I don't want to give too much away, but um, we will be having the, a stage in the shoot house uh, that Dan completed this year um so you know there'll be you'll be moving in and out of the house uh, engaging targets that are both inside and outside of it and then i do have an all steel stage that uh, i set up uh i think it's actually going to be our first stage of the match <laughs> yes uh, to get it out of the way um beyond that nothing to there's nothing really out of the ordinary it's just i tried to build a challenging match that's also fun um, so, but everything changes when you put a stage on the ground. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. So going back to four years ago, um, where did you find competitive shooting? Did someone tell you about it? Did you Google it? Like, how'd you find out? So it's kind of a fun story. Uh, so back in 2017, I signed up to be a member at Dothan Gun Club because I was into shooting. Uh, but at that time I was just kind of, you know, weekend shooter, go out and plink. Uh, I owned a fair number of guns that I just like to go and make noise with. And I heard about Dothan Gun Club and was like, oh, this looks like a really great place to shoot. Dan, uh, the owner and match director, kept telling me, Drew, you need to come out and shoot, shoot a match. You need to come shoot a match. And I went and I watched a three-gun match and watched part of it. And I was like, 
and I don't know, I don't remember who all was there, um, the local shooters, but they were pretty good. And I was just like, this, this is too hard. This is too difficult for me. I was intimidated by it, very intimidated by it. Yeah. And I told Dan that, and he was like, look, come shoot the USPSA match on whatever day it was. Bring a friend, you'll have fun. And that's what I did. I brought my younger brother and one of our mutual friends. And ha I had no idea what I was doing. The whole day is a blur. Um, and I just remember telling the RO, hey, this is my first match. I've never done this before. And they saw me through the whole day. Everything went fine. I had a blast. And I've been doing it pretty much every, at least once or twice a month ever since. So cool. You know, you talked about that RO that helped walk you through that. Uh, a lot of people don't see the other side of it, right? Even if a shooter doesn't say like, hey, I'm a new shooter, think about how many people we might encounter that it's their first time and how important that experience is for them to keep coming back, right? Yeah, now you can always tell when somebody's uh, new at it. If Once you've been ROing for a while, you can just tell by the way they walk the stage. Um, you can tell by the way they, you know, you can just tell when they're making ready. Uh, and I always try to give them the best help that I can. And I'll tell you, hey, if you run into problems, do you want me to coach you? Do you want me to help? Right. And about half the time they'll say yes. Uh, and I do what I can. Awesome. Drew's a good person. Um, before we move on with that too, <laughs> I remember you tried your hand at two gun. How did two gun go? <laughs> You're referring to two gun nationals. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will gloss over Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed the match. Um, it was just, it was a long day, as you are very well aware. Um, but I actually did enjoy it. Uh, I would do it again. Uh, I just hope that they schedule better weather for next time. And I hope that they schedule the staff match to be two days. Be great. Be great. I'm yes. not going back if it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I enjoyed it overall. I'm glad you did it. I remember, yeah, three gun is daunting, especially the first match. I see that now. Um, yeah. You know, I made my friend do that, but at a major match, too, not a local. But uh, yeah, it was awesome. Too good was a lot of fun. And that was a very hard match at the end of the day. Sorry, I made Zoom go away on accident. Um, yes, it was a very challenging match. Um, they had targets that were pretty far away. Um, and it was challenging for stage planning, too. If you've never shot multi gun before, even though it was only two guns and not three guns, that was very challenging. Uh, I struggled the first couple of stages until I kind of figured out what I needed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the calibers were the same, so it was very helpful. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that gets very helpful. Yeah. So going back to to shooting, um, did you get a few competitions under your belt before you felt really comfortable with shooting? Um, yeah, I, I shot, uh, I was pretty comfortable with gun handling at the time. Okay. And so after a couple of matches, I very quickly uh, understood, okay, 180. Uh, luckily, I had already developed good trigger discipline. I had really good teachers when I first started shooting. Um, so it only took a couple of matches for me to get comfortable with it. Now, it took a long time to get proficient <laughs> at shooting USPSA. That's fair. I'm still on that path. But yeah, I think, I think USPSA, I mean, it makes you a better gun handler makes you more aware of people, your surroundings, you know, what's behind the targets and all of that, which is really interesting. And like, now you think about it, we don't even probably think about our draw as much anymore, right? That's just normal, reloading normal, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, you, you fall back on whatever you're, whatever you've practiced yeah. and you don't have to think about it. Um, 
I don't remember the last time I really, unless I'm in an awkward position, I don't remember the last time I actually thought about what my draw stroke was going to be. Cool. That's cool. So what was the moment that you fell in love with shooting that you knew this was, that this was the thing? Just shooting in general or with competition? It was competition. Um, I, I kind of, after about the third stage of my first match, I fell in love with competition shooting. I was like, this is fun. It's challenging. It's, it's very different than standing in one spot and shooting a plate rack 10 times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think people just need to, to start, right. That's the hardest thing is to get someone to a first match. Yes. First match. But after they do that, they're like, oh, I get it now. It's easy. Yeah. It looks a lot harder than it is. Um, but it's a, it's as far as just going down and doing it, it looks very hard, but it really isn't. Yeah. Now, like you said, proficiency, that's, that's could be chasing lifetime. <laughs> yeah. No, you can, to be, to become the best in the world is something you could chase for your entire life. Yeah. So starting out to, um, what was like the first gun and gear setup that you had when you got started? So I started shooting with a Smith and Wesson M&P Gen 1. Nice. Um, I, it, I still have that gun. It's actually a fantastic pistol. I have one too. Yep. For what it is. Yeah. Um, but that's what I used for my very first match. I had a Blade Tech holster, which I still have, Same. and a couple of Blade Tech double pouches because I somebody told me I should shoot production and to bring lots of mags. So that's <laughs> what I did. Um, I would say and it, to anybody who is thinking about shooting your first USPSA match, shoot limited minor or carry optics. There we go. Um, but yeah, I shot with an M&P Gen 1 with just basic cheap gear that I just clipped onto my normal everyday belt. I did not have a competition rig. I shot for probably two or three months before I bought a double layer belt and proper gear. Yeah. Did you, did you ask people, you know, what they were running as far as gear? Did you try anybody else's check it out? You know, how that, how'd you make that decision? Um, I talked to a couple of different people at, at USP at my local USPSA match who said, Hey, what kind of, what kind of belt is that? What kind of mag pouches are those? Um, and then I ended up with a double alpha belt and then a friend of mine, um, made me a really good deal on some ghost pouches. I still have that rig. It works perfectly fine. Um, but just, I asked shooter my local shooters for help and they had dispensed good advice it's awesome yeah it's really important getting started to ask questions and check out other people's stuff and not go out the gate buy all the stuff that you might hate later on or not really feel comfortable with yeah start cheap and then figure out what you need yeah so when did you know like there was a specific division that you really wanted to shoot so i started off shooting production um and then uh i tried uh, carry optics not too long after they went to the 140 millimeter mags right. and I really enjoyed shooting with optics uh, I have uh, bad eyesight mm. and I found shooting carry optics to be a lot of fun and so I uh, shot that division for about two years and then last year I borrowed a 1911 um, from somebody to shoot classic nationals at the CMP and you know borrowed their their gun and everything and their rig and loaded ammo on their machine on their press uh yeah i had because it was chambered in 40. okay um and i shot single stack and i was like wow this is fun it's like shooting production but i got a big boy bullet <laughs> and so 
I really loved single stack. I ended up buying that gun from him um, earlier this year, and now I shoot single stack. Wait, and back to iron sights too. I went back to iron sights. Um, I, I think at the time that I started shooting, I think I needed a new prescription. Oh, Drew. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm back to shooting iron sights and low cap, uh, and I love it. Yeah. So, so back to low cap. Weird. All right. So, pro tip: member shoot high cap at the start. <laughs> um. So, what's fun about single stack for you, and what's the biggest challenge about single stack for you? Uh. So, what I love about single stack is that with shooting single stack major, you're limited to eight rounds plus one in the chamber, so nine rounds at any given time, most of the time. So that kind of makes you have to be creative on your stage planning because uh, even even production on some stages can give you a pretty big advantage. You can eliminate a position or you can shoot through a position yep. with single stack. You may not be able to do that or you may have to reload much more quickly. Um, so I love the challenge there planning the reloads. I love the added challenge of I don't have as many makeup shots available. And I love shooting major because it's fun. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a lot, it kicks more than a nine millimeter, but I have the gun well tuned and I know how to shoot it. So it doesn't slow me down and I love major scoring. Yeah. So for people that don't know um, about like the rules in the USPSA, you can't have more than the eight target or eight shot, you know, in the target array that's available because of that. So yeah, your revolver shooters, <laughs> your single stack guys. Drew, are you sure you're not a boomer? I, I could be. I actually, I actually really want to try shooting revolver miter someday. I just, I just don't know anybody with a with the with a rig that I could borrow at the moment. Me either. I saw the Jerry Mitchell like revolver. I want that. Oh, excuse me. But yeah. <laughs> oh, one day. And so, like, I used to shoot cowboy action. I think I'm gonna show up in all my leather. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I think I will. <laughs> That'll make USPSA magazine, right? <laughs> yeah, show up and shoot PCC with the uh, lever action. There you go. Oh, I didn't know those were a thing in Steel Challenge. Anyways, okay, I digress. Um, okay, so getting to the meat of this too, you got involved in working all these competitions. So did you volunteer? Were you voluntold or did this just like happen? Um, so I started helping out at a local level because I saw that it was just two people, the, the owner of the range and one of his helpers and one of his members. So I was like, well, I'm a member of the range. I only live 10 minutes away. Why am I not out there helping? So I started helping at a local level. And then when Dan held the Alabama sectional, I took um, a couple of days off work, helped him build it. And then I staffed the match at that. The first time I staffed it, I wasn't even certified mm -hmm. as an RO. Uh, but so I was there as just an extra set of hands uh, for a certified RO team. Um, but I just kind of fell into it. Nobody, nobody dragged me into it. I just kind of was like, hey, do you need help? And they said yes. The answer is never going to be no if you want to get involved in your local <laughs> community. Yeah, no, um, we pretty much will not turn down help. Yeah. Um, like, like right now, we have basically uh, three people who put on our matches uh, we run two USPSA matches a month and a steel challenge match every month and we have three people to do it it's crazy crazy it's a really cool facility and what is uh Dothan Gun Club known for 
uh, used to be known for hoser stages. Now it's known as one of the most technical, hard local matches in the Southeast, yes. uh, especially after last match. <laughs> especially the, uh, and, and the nice grassy courts. Yes, and the, uh, the Wimbledon of USPSA is what I think you were looking for. Yes, yeah, that shoot house looks cool though. Um, who, who was the first person to shoot out of that actually? Uh, to actually shoot in it, uh, probably, probably was Dan. Uh, yeah. But sometime before we actually held the match, I don't know who uh, actually got to christen it. I, and I, I do know uh, who was the first person to shoot one of the one of the door frames. Oh. Can we name names? Uh, I better not. Okay, fair, fair enough. Um, how does a shoot house? Can't. You can tell me later. Uh, how does a shoot house like add? A different level of competition, different stage planning for shooters. Like, how did you see that, you know, become a game changer for having people want to shoot there? Well, it does a couple of different things. Um, it provides a different challenge to design stages in because I have to be extremely aware of shoot throughs if I'm putting, tar especially if I'm putting targets inside. Um, but it just, it allows, it allows you the more movement uh, around and through walls and pathways without having to actually go and build out a ton of walls. Um, where, Because like with the shoot house, I can put together a stage that has you want meander through a bunch of different pathways and I don't have to go put 30 walls out. Uh, so it saves everybody a lot of time and effort. Uh, but it, it's, I don't know that it adds so much for the shooters at the end of the day, uh, but it is kind of cool from the perspective of designing stages i think it is though with the the different lighting too i mean there's a big difference walking into a shoot house um i, I have seen that especially with the one at universal it is yeah. darker in there That's what I'm thinking of. yeah uh i i haven't noticed as much with ours at dothan actually though because ours is a lot taller um and so shade either like covered with trees yeah it's not covered with trees it's taller and the walls aren't um as tall relative to the rest of the shoot house. So more light does get inside. So it's not quite as stark a difference as like uh, the shoot house at, in Frostproof. Yeah. So um, going back to getting involved, what do you love about helping? And what do you maybe not so much love about having to help all these matches run? So I'm gonna start with the second part of that question, what I don't love. What I don't love is getting up early. I don't like getting out of bed in the morning as it is uh but getting up at five or six o'clock in the morning is not fun um this time of year it is um hot and humid in alabama uh so i don't love that uh but what i do really enjoy is i enjoy people when they go and they post on facebook or instagram or wherever and they tag either me or the rangers and said hey had a great match these were awesome stages that i love i love people telling me after the match you know hey this was fun this was a challenge um, and I also just enjoy putting together an, a, an event, so to speak, where uh, I get to hang out with my friends because uh, I made a lot of friends doing this. Absolutely. You're not allowed to switch squads for any reason for endless summer. No, no, I'm staying there. Okay, good. Um, okay, so then you, when did you go through the RO class for the NROI? Oh, I think that was... I can't, I think it was either 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2019. Um, but we had, we had a bunch of people asking um, uh, Dan at Dothan Gun Club to organize one. 
so he did and we managed to fill it up which was good and so um we had an instructor come out and we did the, it's a two for those of you who don't know it is a two-day class um the majority of it is going to be in the classroom you go over the rule book you go over some examples uh there's videos that they'll, they'll play out a video and they'll say okay what is your call on this specific part? Like, what is your call on the foot fault or that kind of thing? And then the second day is a portion out at the range and they make sure you use the right range commands and they make sure that you know what to look for with various things. Um, so it's, it's not a difficult class. If you've been shooting USPSA for any, for six months, you could probably go through it no problem. Yeah. Um, I've also done the CRO course, yep. uh, which, more focused on stage design and stage management. Um, and that was an interesting uh, course as well. I did mine last year. And then for those listening, yeah, the, the CRO class is interesting though, because you actually get to build a stage, get feedback, put it on the ground, and then pretty much you get it torn apart <laughs> from your fellow classmates. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. Uh, uh, I, with your class, did they have the 3D kit? Uh, where everybody got to sit there and uh, poke around on the desk. No, I wish we had. That'd be cool. <laughs> uh, when when I did mine, the instructor brought, uh, he brought a couple of different sets of those 3D printed kits uh, where you have the all the little fault lines and walls and stuff, and you put it on the desk and you can arrange it exactly how it needs to be, and everything's supposed to be to scale. Yeah. Um, and so it was real fun designing a stage, and then we go and we look at the bays that we needed to put them in, at the club and it's like oh <laughs> thing all i don't i don't know how this is going to fit in this bay mm -hmm. yeah that's really important um as far as those classes too let's let's talk about bringing bringing that to other ranges so how easy was it for you to connect with the national range officers institute to get a class you know held um and how important is it to get your local people certified um i actually didn't have to contact NROI. Dan did that. Um, but I don't think it's particularly difficult. I think it's just a matter of you submit the request and then they they figure out, okay, which instructor has time available for the time slot that you want. And then you set it up with them and then you fill out the class. Um, I think the hardest part about it is just getting enough people committed to and signed up. Yeah. Um, because you have to have enough people who have a specific weekend free to go and spend two days doing that. And some people may have to travel several hours yeah. to do so. Which I did. Uh, <laughs> well, <yeah. and laughs> I, I, for my CRO course, I, I took it up in Atlanta. So I had to, I had to find a place to stay overnight. Um, and luckily I had somebody who was, uh, who was taking the class with me. So we were able to split the cost. That's awesome. Yeah. So check online, even if you can't get a, one at your club, they have them all over the, the country for the most part. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Working with, yeah, ROs. So you as a CRO and RO and all of that, what's the biggest struggle with, you know, working with volunteers or setting up matches to have enough staff, like you said, what's that biggest hard challenge there? Um, it's, it can be challenging to find enough uh, certified ROs. Uh, it really just depends on what part of the country you're in. Um, I, I'm kind of in a black hole. There's about six competitive shooters in Dothan. Everybody else that comes to shoot our matches comes from out of town. Yeah. Um, 
So like when I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm at about 25 to 30 people committed for staff for the sectional. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be a little difficult to fill it up yeah. to get to the, the number I want. I want to have between 35 and 40. Uh, and I'm trying to have as many certified ROs as I can. Um, but it can be, it can be tricky uh, to find enough certified people. And the other flip side of that is you have to find people who are certified if you're having a major match and you also need to make sure that, that they also know what they're doing. Yeah. Because just because you're certified, it <laughs> doesn't make you an expert. Correct. Correct. I think a lot of people across the board, not just this, but like they see credentials are like, oh, they know their stuff. Hmm. They know their stuff and are credentialed and actually apply it and use it or are a shooter. So there's two sides of that, right? Just like we need help. And at the base level, you could volunteer and, and run the tablet, watch for foot faults, make sure the shooters are in order, right? Um, but yeah, you really need people that are going to be comfortable with stopping a malfunction if it's happening, you know, 180 things come up and, and that's really scary to deal with. I mean, I had a gun dropped and face towards me at nationals. How much fun was that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's never fun for anybody. No, but I think, yeah, a lot of, a lot of challenges with match directing is just finding people to work, um, especially, and just get, get credentialed. I know that's kind of a requirement. I mean, that is a requirement by USPSA. It depends on the level of match. Right. Um, at a level two, I believe the bare minimum is one certified RO per stage. Yep. Um, and then once you get above that, then it starts requiring, okay, you need to have a CRO in every stage. And then it becomes, okay, everybody on that stage needs to be certified in some way. Um, but just because you're a CRO doesn't mean you're going to be a CRO in a particular match. Yep. Uh, I worked low cap nationals this year and I was just, an RO, um, working under a different, under a very good CRO. We're stage and favorite ROs in the whole world on that stage. We're not going to talk about it because low cap. Not fun. Um, so like you said, knowing the rules is a big thing. Um, how many people do you actually run across who have read the rule book period? Um, I don't know. I'd say probably, in my area, I'd say probably forty. I'd say probably forty percent of the shooters know the important rules. Um, I mean, everybody, most people who've been shooting for any for a reasonable length of time, they know how to safely run a shooter through a course of fire. They know how to look for, you know, one eighty finger on the trigger, and you know they can ensure safety. Uh, it's when you get to the part of okay, how do you properly score a target? How do you identify shoot throughs? looking for foot faults, determining, okay, is this foot fault an advantage or not? When you get into that, uh, the percentage starts to drop considerably, yeah. um, in my opinion. Yeah. Go to multi-gun, you got 1%. And then when you have multi-gun on top of the same caliber and trying to figure out FTSAs, that's really fun too. So. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> um Okay. In your, in your opinion, do you think that everyone should at least have to, like if you're a shooter, you think everyone should have to RO a level one, two, and three match once in their life? I might, I'd actually go a step further and say that you should make it a point to work a major match at least every other year that you're an active competitor um, because it gives back to the sport and it will remind you of what it's like to be on the other side of the timer. It reminds you what it's like, you know, every, everybody's had a crap call, what they think is a crappy call, uh, you know, a, a 
Delta that should have been a Charlie uh, or shouldn't have been a no shoot, that kind of thing. And it's important to remind people, you know, there's a reason calls like that get made. And it's important for people to uh, experience both sides of the timer. Yeah, absolutely. We're just humans. We try to take all the human error out for sure. Um, and then it goes back to a lot of people don't know that they can call the, the range master. They can have a target pulled. You know, there's higher levels that they can go about, but they don't know. They've got to fight. You've got to fight for your right as a shooter, right? Exactly. Um, and as an RO, you should do your duty or you should recommend that or should help them, you know? Uh, and as an RO, you should also know that, you know, a shooter can contest what your, uh, what your call is. And most of the time, it's not personal. They're no. not, they're not calling you out, um, you know, on your abilities. If, uh, if a shooter questions uh, a hit that I scored on a target, well, fine, I'll call the CRO. Yep. Um, and if they disagree with the CRO, well, then the RM will come over and be the final decision. So the, ultimately, our goal as staff is to be fair, but yep. also to keep things moving. Yeah, that's really important. Um, if you can't be fair, take biases out of it, you know, especially when it comes to friends and then people that you don't like, there, there's a lot of that that goes around that I don't really love to see the um the biggest thing that people don't know is like the difference in you know charlie and alpha the higher competitors level is huge right so um i had an ro that called a, a call they called for me a zero i made the call we sent the rm he had to make the final call um ultimately that person came in second but at the end of the day you know if that had been even closer and it had one in their favor that could have been the win right so We've got to have better eyes on it. And as a competitor, so many people, especially new people don't do this. So it doesn't really matter ish as a new competitor, walk around with your targets. You know what I mean? Absolutely. If you're not present for a target being scored, then you really don't have a basis to, to challenge it. You need to be there or depending, you know, sometimes they may start scoring, you know, right as soon as the range is clear. So you need to make sure you've got a delegate there with you and in USPSA, you have the right to either be present or to have a delegate there. But if you don't do that, it's kind of on you. Yeah, yeah, especially at the, the bigger uh, major matches where they do two stages, two at once, so you're walking off from this one to the next one, you're like, ah, don't even know. But um, how can someone get involved if they're looking to volunteer? What are some resources? Um, at, like at, their, at a local level or to work at larger matches? I think we should cover it all. So like where should they start on a local level? Where should they reach out to to learn more? Are there any videos, you know, that they can, they can watch? Um, I don't know of any, uh, besides the training stuff that NROI puts on their blog, they have some videos and a lot of actually pretty good articles yeah. um, on things like scoring targets and how to handle different situations. Um, but if you're at a local match and you want to help with the setup, for example, you know, talk to the match director, say, Hey, what, when, what day and what time do you guys do setup? And if you're, and if you can help offer your help, uh, a lot of times just an extra, just an extra body on the range is helpful uh, to stop people from wearing themselves out. Uh, and sometimes an extra set of eyes is, is also really, really good. Yep. Um, but if you're at a match and you know, you've shot, if you've shot more than you know maybe 10 matches i'd say you should start learning how to run the timer and how to run the ipad and you know become comfortable with that so you can help people out at a local match you do not have to be certified you just need to know what you're doing <laughs> right um why do people in avoid the ipad like the plague um lots of reasons <laughs> some people are just not compatible with technology <laughs> um I, i'm sure everybody knows an individual like that um, 
but some people some people legitimately just they just don't get along very well with technology which is fine i understand that oh. and um some people the um, they don't like the pressure of entering because you know if you enter something wrong you could screw somebody's matchup um you could and then if you have to go back and edit you can people can be called into question about cheating and stuff um, if that happens too frequently so i, I understand it uh, and usually usually there's enough people on the squad to where it's really not a problem as long as you're doing something as long as you're pasting um big thing uh, as long as you're actually helping reset the stage uh, and helping when needed, it's really not that big a deal. Yeah. Well, try. That's all I can say is try yes. out, shadow someone, even if you don't feel comfortable doing it, shadow someone. Ask um, questions. Yeah. Ask questions. So, okay, let's go back to being a match director for a minute. Um, and we'll go into stage design too, which I'm excited for. But what is a match director's like official duties? Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna repeat what the rule book says because technically the rule book kind of defines it, but what a match director has to do is determine, you know, what stages are going to be in the match and then determine, okay, which, which bays are they going to go in? Um, so A, they fit the bay and B, they don't impede flow of the match. And that's important even at a level one match. Uh, I'm sure everybody has been to a match where You've got one stage that is backing up the entire match and you've got two squads standing there waiting yeah. it's not fun for anybody uh but there's the stages and then you also have to deal with registrations you have to make sure that people have a spot to sign up most often it's going to be practice score at least for me thank god um yeah use thank god score. please don't use a match yes. sign up <laughs> please, please use practice score uh, and please, if you're going to do payment ahead, please use uh, Stripe so we don't have to mail checks. Yep. Um, anyways, you're going to have to deal with registrations. And then you're either going to have to deal with checking people in when they get to the match or delegate that task out. And then, you know, morning of the match, you're going to be supervising, making sure that targets are the correct targets are posted and that they're posted safely um, so that there's no shoot throughs and there's no rounds leaving the range that kind of deal uh, and then at some point you're going to have to corral all the shooters and you know say okay it's time for the match here's the ipads and have fun um and that's a lot like herding cats <laughs> the cats are usually better behaved than my shooters um, that's because we give you a hard time because we love you yes that's that's what it is that's what i tell myself Okay, my biggest question that nobody really talks about too, how do you budget for stages and a match and, you know, entry fees and all that? How do you figure that all out? Um, well, this is, I, I haven't really had to touch match finances until I started the sectional. Yeah. And I really haven't dived too much into it yet. Um, but it's, it's going to be a balance because I have to compensate my, my staff um and that that's a big part of getting staff is making sure you can do something to make it worth their while um but then there's also consumables uh paint luckily i've i've got my the my one of my sponsors for the sectional is going to be steel target paint the best. um yep the best target paint yes. and um but uh they're so they're going to help me out there uh, and then you also have targets. 
targets aren't cheap. The shipping is what really kills you on paper Card targets. Stupid, yeah, and cardboard and, and cardboard box. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you because consume and consumables have gotten more expensive. Yeah, uh, pasters, targets, all that has gotten more expensive. Yeah, weatherproof. There's the weatherproof targets as well, and and then the bags if it rains, which it always rains. It's Dothan, it's Alabama. <laughs> Our match got rained out on uh, Sunday. It was our defensive pistol match. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you have to balance all the consumables and uh, figure out, okay, how much am I going to pay uh, my staff, be it either in, uh, you know, goodies um, or some matches actually are able to pay them uh, per diem, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but Dothan has always had the best RO treatment ever, ever yep. when it comes to... And I plan to continue that um, with the RO prize drawing, um, giving away guns and uh, goodies. Um, and I'm going to try to be kind on the stage design so I'm not wearing my staff out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a big thing you got you to gotta look at. Because um, if you've got a big field course that's going to require a lot of running, you got to make sure that you've got enough staff on that stage so people don't you know, pass out. Well, it's not just that too. Um, you got to look at the teams. I think a lot of, not a lot, but some MDs kind of misses out, right? So on a longer course of stage, you're looking for like three or four people that are willing to trade roles the whole entire time, because a lot of people, they'll be like, I'm only comfortable with this. Well, if you're an RO certified or CRO, you should be running a timer. You should be able to switch out. So exactly. that's the hardest part too. Um, and like, even um, I want to say nationals, they did a really good job with what feel what course or what level course do you feel most comfortable up to you know running and I always choose long because I'm young I got legs we can do it um but there Same are some here. people you know we need the easy easy um or what is it small stages as well yeah that's important and, and like you and said the flow is huge yes flow is a big thing and I um two two gun had a two gun had its own problem so I'm not gonna that's kind of a special case I'm not gonna talk about the flow, there were some flow issues there. Um, did you but, three of six this year? Uh, no, I did not. Yeah, there was there was uh, like a two burner on one stage, like actually in one bay. And then mm -hmm. we sat for like two and a half hours. Oh my level. goodness. Yeah. Um, but I felt like low cap nationals, for the most part, I felt like it flowed pretty well, but you actually shot it as a competitor. So yeah. did you have any backups? We did on, I want to say, one on day two. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember how stage day two went because day one did not go well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to open an old wound. No, no, no you're good. It, it depended on, too, like the, the back base had the larger field courses, right? So mm -hmm. that felt like a longer day because you're in that section, and it was, and you had more shooters, more targets to pace, more movement. Um, so that was interesting. And that was the same thing with two-gun. I think there was... We never, as, as an RO, we never got a break. We actually had to shoot into lunch and we had to start early sometimes just to get shooters through. We never even stopped for five seconds. Like we'd always have a squad. Where the other yeah. people that were sending them our way were like, yeah, I've sat for an hour. And I'm like, <sighs> jealous. My, my stage, which was right next door to yours at Two Gun, well, the second yeah. I got transferred there. I remember that. Uh, once we caught up, we did okay, Yeah, uh, I think. I don't think we had many backups on our stage. Yeah. Um, but they they needed that transfer. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, and the that was funny when I think it was 
I, I think it was Shannon just didn't know some of the rules when we were setting up those stages, like where you could activate the, the activator and a disappearing target you didn't have to shoot at, you wouldn't get the penalty or for the hits or whatever that rule was. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I don't recall the situation. I don't think I was super, super complicated rule, but there was two stages that had like a steel knockdown that would have a target that would appear and disappear. So it would be like a pistol only target. And then you'd mm -hmm. have to somehow shoot pistol and PCC in different places. It was really weird, but at the end of the day, right after walking, right before um, we shot the, the first day, they had to change all those. So the clamshells got moved so that way you could still see the target and then you had to shoot at it. Oh, was that the stage with two boxes um, up by the top of the hill on, at two gun? That had one of them, and then your stage had the far one on the right. Uh, yeah, yeah. They had to change all of that to make sure that people shot at it because people could game it and not oh, take yeah. a penalty. It was a no penalty mic. That's what it was. Yeah, because if it's disappearing, especially with uh, with multi gun, with it being time plus, uh, yep. there's no point shooting it. And we learned that, so they had to change all the targets that day. Um, so, like you said, matches can change, proofing stages, yep. and people that don't really shoot shoot the USPSA multi guns at, uh, rules as much too. And low cap, I didn't even know had that one on the drop turner. Like I should have just not thrown the third shot. I could have had a no penalty mic and just not gotten points. Oh yeah, that? I was trying to remember. That. Yeah, I remember that stage. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, look up no penalty mics, people. It's yes. so confusing. Nothing makes sense. I'm out. Like. Well, and it's funny how the math works. On a high hit factor stage, you, you generally just want to take the NPMs, but on a low hit factor, can I, yeah, it's it's complicated. Yep. <laughs> yep. And if you don't know the math, then you're probably not that level to shoot the match. So not worry about it. Just have fun. Just have fun. <laughs> Which I totally did not as well. Um, anyways, <laughs> going back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's great. Um, maybe I'll share the video. Maybe not. I'm not ready for it. So how far out do you start planning um, a major match? Like, let's talk about Endless Summer Blast. When does that start? And when did you start the Alabama sectional planning? Um, so the for the section match, I, I should have been started planning it back in like February. <laughs> uh, but there's this whole thing that you went on with the Alabama section. Y'all didn't know that you were going to have it, right? Or host it. I guess this isn't exactly secret. So I'm just going to lay it, kind of lay it out and not be, and just not name names. Um, so last year, COVID happened. The match got delayed, as I'm sure anybody who shot it knew. It got delayed to September. And then it was going to be in March um, this year. Uh, but then in like it was either late november or early december it was decided that that club wasn't going to have the match and so then it became the call came went out to the all the clubs in the state they said hey can anybody take this and then um somebody one club volunteered and unfortunately they had problems with their board of directors and they could not come to an agreement on how to handle it i, I don't know exactly the details there but they ended up after a couple of months saying, hey, sorry, we can't. So by that point, it was too late in the year to try to schedule the match. There was just not a time where we could get the match in and be able to have staff and be able to have it be a successful match. So then the call went out again, said, okay, who can have it in 2022? <laughs> and crickets. So I ended up volunteering and say, okay, Dan will let me use his facility and I'll run it and he's going to help me, but it's going to be on my shoulders. Um, so that's how I came to have it. 
So I've started my planning. I'm reaching out to sponsors. Um, I've got one. I've gotten heard back from one. I've got to start figuring out like how what guns I'm going to get for the RO prize drawing and how. Um, but it's scheduled for March. I've I've submitted the form C. I've started the stage design for it. I have my range master, my staff officer, all that, uh, and I'm still and I'm gathering staff still. That's awesome. Um, realistically, for a level two, you got to start planning probably eight months minimum in yeah. advance. Yeah. Uh, in the summer, we started we we started really planning it probably about two two or three months ago. Nice. Okay. Then, um, like I, I don't know if it's true or not, or the exact time. I figured this out or whatever. Aren't sexual matches supposed to change ranges too or change hands and rotate? I, I think that varies per section. In Alabama, um, I don't know if it's actually in the bylaws or if it's just kind of the agreement. Um, each range that has it will have it for four to five years because when you when you take on a major match like that, if you've never done it before, you may have to go out and you may have to buy additional props, you know, more walls, more steel. And you may have to make some capital expenditures. So they let you have the match for a couple of years so you can actually try to make some money and then it's supposed to go to somebody else. Uh, and, and Dothan had it for four years and then it went to CMP and now it's back in Dothan. I don't know what 2023 is gonna be. I guess that, I guess my answer, whether I, I would want to do it again, will you'll have to ask me in April of next yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I do like those rules where they they have people move it. Um, I don't love it yes. when when like I've I've had a range here like hold on to the match and not give it up and let other matches or places have it, but they still don't plan to have it, but they don't want anyone else to have it. So guess that, who loses? The customer shooters. Exactly. Um, that's that's happened with a steel challenge match in a, a, a in Georgia. Uh, they weren't going to have it, but they wouldn't let anybody else use the name. So I'm going to say call BS, but I won't say BS, but it's BS. I mean, that's the only people yeah. that lose, right? Because of politics and, and fighting. Yeah. It, ultimately, I, I, I don't do this for the fame and glory and, and, and the money. I do this because I enjoy it. And I yeah, think that's true for most fun. people in this sport. Yeah, it's, not, it's not fun, fame or glory. You're either hated or loved. <laughs> and you only hear the bad for the most part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Much. Yeah. So, um before we get into stage designs, one last question about that. Um, what do you wish more shooters understood about what goes behind the scenes for a match? Uh, just the time investment um, that it takes. I think a lot of people don't realize uh, how much, for even just a local match, how much of a match director's time is actually spent. Uh, because I'll spend, during the week leading up to a match, and I'll spend hour, a couple hours minimum designing stages because we run six, so I design five, and then I pick a classifier. Um, and then, you know, we'll spend usually about four hours on the range on Saturday setting up the match. And then we'll spend at least an hour the day of the match, getting like, like putting the targets up the morning of, that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, it usually takes, luckily people stay behind to help for the most part, but then it takes another half hour or so at least at the end of the day to put everything away and to close up the range so we can go get lunch. I think so, my favorite memory. Do you remember what I picked up and what I was wearing? At the Endless Summer Blast last year? <laughs> yeah, I think I have that photo somewhere. <laughs> I was like, any man can do, I can do. 
Yes, I remember. <laughs> oh God, that was a horrible day. I don't want to think about it. That was fine. That was fine. But yeah, it was a stupid contraption. It was like a metal wall with a window with a pulley that you had to pull. And uh, I want to pick the I picked the whole thing up. And I was wearing my little heart hunters H D gold glasses. But my favorite part about that too was that stage because I had like one of the highest um, hit factors on that stage because I learned how to pull the pulley and stick it in the window and it didn't come back down on me where like Parks tried to do that and it came back and it fell and then he had to do it again. <laughs> and they're just like holding it and shooting. Oh man. It like you either game it and you lose or you game it and you win. There's no middle. <laughs> yep. yep. Now I'm looking for that photo. Team Pickle, we got to find the photo. <laughs> oh no. Where is it? I'll find it later. I'm sure. Uh, so, but, oh, go yeah. ahead. Jinx. No, no, I was done. You go. Oh, I was going to ask on stages and stage design. Um, how many stages do you think that you designed in your lifetime? Um, I've only I've only been designing stages for probably about two years, but I've probably designed a couple hundred, yeah, and o only only a maybe probably 40% at most of those have ever actually been built. Uh, you know, cause I might, in the, in the beginning, I was churning out, I'd churn out like seven or eight stage designs for the week. And then we would pick the ones that we liked. And then now I've gotten better at stage design. I've gotten to the point where it's like, okay, I want to do this for this match. So I'll design exactly what I want. And then we go to build it and we tweak it. Awesome. Yeah. And I would not say only that many, because I don't know that many people that do this all the time for years, for fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun scene because, uh, you know, I post my stages on uh, some of them on Facebook, yep. um, stage design group there. Uh, one of my friends pointed out to me that a, a section match uh, that's happening this weekend uh, is, is and crediting me for, but they're using two of my stages. Uh, and I didn't even know until he's happened to tell until he told me. So, cool. uh, so that's always fun. No, it's super. That's amazing. Stage design is not easy. And that's, that's a big deal. Um, especially if people are picking it up. Right. And like the, the, the big thing too, that not a lot of, not all clubs do some do is you post the stages before the match. I try to. Yeah. So, sometimes I may not have, I may have a busy week at work and, or I may just have a writer's block, so to speak. Sometimes I may not have the stages designed until Friday night before we're supposed to go set them up. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually have everything designed for next weekend. <laughs> nice. So how do you even begin to like think about stage designing? Like where do you start as far as base size to targets to walls? Like where do you start? So typically when I start with designing the stage, I think about a couple of different things. It'll either be, is there a particular prop or array that I want to use. Um, like we have this, uh, we have this target um, from Red Stitch Targets called, uh, it's their metal plate swinger. It's basically two arms from a Texas star and each end has a plate and it's got a weight on the other end. So it's a swinger, but it's two plates. Um, so like if I'm using a prop like that, oh, what was that, sorry? I remember that thing and it was hidden behind hardcover. Yeah, thanks. So, so there's a funny story about that if you'd like to hear it. Yeah. So the original plates we, because we, the range bought the target, the plates that it comes with are six inch round plates. The minimum size in USPSA rules is, can you guess? Was it six? Eight. Eight. Eight, eight, eight inches. Water. So technically that was the illegal target. 
I didn't know it until I happened to look it up some months later and I was like, oh, we have since purchased the correct size plates. It makes that target actually a lot more fun. Yeah. Um, because those six inch plates are challenging. You wouldn't think that that makes that big a difference, but it really does. Oh, it does. Um, I've seen a lot of illegals, so I can never remember until I read the rule book what the size are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, um, I'll look at a specific target that I want to use or some kind of array. And then I think, okay, what can I add on to this to make it more fun or to make it more challenging? Or I may think, okay, what skill do I want to test? Like sometimes I think, okay, I'd like, I want to, I want to test people's ability to get in and out of position onto a partial target or onto a long range target, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and so then I have, then I set up that test and then I build around it. I say, okay, I want to have, you know, this burner section over here and then you're going to have a 20 yard partial. Because uh, I mean like that. Um, but then I, I have to, I kind of have it in my head now, but I have to think about, okay, which bays are we using for the match? And so I have to look at a stage that I'm, as I'm designing it and think, okay, is this going to fit? Which bay is this going to fit in? Um, and how many props am I using? Um, so I have to think about, okay, how many, I try to limit for my, for our local matches, I try to limit myself on how many, how much steel I put out in total, because somebody has to lug it out there. Uh, I try to limit myself on how many walls we use because, uh, you know, somebody has to put them out and then somebody has to put them away. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure everybody's been to a, a match where they, uh, at the end of the day, they're tearing down. It's been a long, hot day and then you've got to go put away 20 walls. Nobody enjoys that. Yeah. Um, um, so, it's nice when everybody stays and helps out, then it's like a minute. Poof. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but still, if you've got, you know, if you've got a a match that's using every prop the range owns it's still time consuming and aggravating especially if you've just finished shooting the match sure. um, so i got to consider teardown too yeah. um do you consider in stages like uh shooter reset like you said mm -hmm. and then of course you you are looking at like a fast stage versus a longer stage then maybe a fast stage to make up for it so that the flow is there yes so i have to think about okay uh, this stage, you know, I can't, I can't have a speed shoot right next door to a 32 round field course that's using the entire bay because people are going to blow through the speed shoot and then they're going to be standing there twirling their thumbs while people are on the uh, field course. So I have to kind of stagger it. Um, and that you just kind of have to learn that by doing it and figuring out what works. And then it also depends on your range because at Dothan right now, we're using two of our front bays and then we're using the four back bays. So there's that long walk. I'm sure you know where, where you walk by the Connex. Yeah, so you've got a big like 12 minute delay just for people to walk to the other side. <laughs> yeah. With your carts. I mean, that's real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and on that big gravel, it's real nice to drag yeah, a cart across that. Yeah. Um, but so I can kind of use that to my advantage though, because if it takes a couple extra minutes for people to pack up their carts and yeah. Uh, and walk over, I can have a speed shoot in that bay and then a larger course after if it's going to require a long walk. Uh, it's kind of a, that kind of skill is something you just kind of have to gain. It's also, it, it depends on the range. It depends on your shooters. Um, and then it can also just depend on, you know, something as simple as the weather. 
because mm -hmm. if I get the wind blowing in off of the peanut fields next door, blowing targets over or off the stands, that's going to cause the lace. Oh, <laughs> uh, you don't do the thing that like frostproof does is that uh, where's the sun going to rise in your eyes so that shooters get screwed? <laughs> no, the bays are, uh, are cut north to south, so that's yeah. not as big a problem. That's a big deal. That it it is. My first stage at Nationals last year, I had to draw onto a 35-yard target shooting carry optics with the sun coming up on the berm. And it's like, thank you. Thank you for that. And like the people that are seasoned know which squads to squat on mm -hmm. and like AM, PM, whatever. But I was like, that's cheating. <laughs> Stuff I don't know. <laughs> that's not fair. They've been doing this for forever. No. Okay. So now my favorite part. Um, let's talk about the software that you use. And for those watching, you're actually going to see Drew do this on video. Oh boy. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I use SketchUp 2017, um, which I will share. Uh, and it's actually a 3D modeling program kind of. Um, and I found some really good YouTube tutorials. Uh, actually, a friend of mine had made them and I will send you a link to that playlist if you'd like after this. Yeah. Um, but this is what it looks like. Um, and in that playlist, he talks about how to set up like the template because this is just a, this is my template for an empty bay. And I have it sized approximately to what Dothan has. Uh, I don't know if you can read this, but that's like, this is about 80 feet across and, um, 70 feet ish deep. Um, so it's approximately the size of one of our larger bays. Um, but usually what I do is I have my, I have two sets open, which I can't really share on Zoom, but yeah. I have a file that has all of my props in it that somebody else compiled. I did not compile this, but I've added to it uh, for my own use but this is the prop file. So you can see I've got walls, I've got fault lines, barrels, all manner of different kinds of targets, steel. And so basically I just, I say, okay, I need this particular wall and I can just copy and paste it into- Quick, quick question. Mm -hmm. Are all of these pieces, everything like a representative of everything that you have? Uh, there's some stuff in here that we don't have, like um, these, the like a Cooper tunnel. We don't have a Cooper tunnel. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> I do remember the tunnel that was on the ground, though. That was really fun. Oh, at the last sectional. God, yeah, I've shot there for so long, I don't even remember anymore. But yeah, it always the sound reverberates, and you think that you made a hit. Anyways, okay, keep going. So tons and tons yeah. of targets in here. Yeah, tons and tons of targets in here. I'm going to grab a couple of things so I can just grab a fault line. Oh good, it's thundering outside. You may lose me. Okay. <laughs> um, so what I did there is I just copy and pasted, but then I can go in here and I could say, you know, put a target there. And I'm not going to go through everything that I'm doing because that would make this already long podcast and even longer. Oh, I love it. Uh, but I can come in here and I can move the camera around and arrange things exactly how I want. And it gives me, it's not perfect. 
I mean, it's it's not going to be one to one with what I with what actually gets built. But like I can say, okay, if I wanted this part of whatever stage I just started designing here, and I want you to have to go both sides of this wall, and put your and lean out across the fault lines, I can see, okay, I've done that. Or I come over here, and you got to get that target. Um, let me show. I'm going to show one of the stages for the. I hope you can't see this pop up that I'm in because this is my work stuff. Oh yeah, um, we I want to put it to a different yeah. screen. But that's okay. I can't. Oh darn it, it's not there. I'll have. To, I was going to show one of the endless summer blast stages, but they are not on this computer apparently. Dang it. Um, no insider here, guys. <laughs> I tried. I actually wanted to show some of the stuff. Um, so this is a stage we shot in a club match a while back. Um, but I can fly the camera around, move stuff around. Um, and it's just, it's a really good tool for me. There is a learning curve um, with the controls for this. Um, but the video tutorial that I will send you the link for is really, really well done. Super cool. Yeah. And there's also the, the 3D builder kits you can buy um, if you're somebody who prefers to do stuff, you know, with your hands. Mm -hmm. um, that I, I personally don't like those because if I want to change something on a stage, I have to rebuild the entire thing. With this, I can say, okay, I really liked that stage, but it'd be better if that target was over there instead of right there, for example. Yeah. I can just go and move it. Well, and the cool thing on the on all those the little targets too, like you guys at Dota and a lot of clubs don't have this. We don't have it. You guys have the drop turners, you have clamshells, you have yes. swingers. So the action on those are the arrows so you can see legit if you're looking at a stage before you show up to a match you can say oh this one's mm -hmm. gonna spin left to right or this one's gonna drop out here um and i think that's super cool seeing all of the different targets because like you said you can get as close to as what you're gonna see out of a match right um the mm -hmm. 3d targets and pictures of that is kind of more difficult to show like that that's a swinger or, you know whatever um but with yeah. Those, then you yeah this tool is really awesome I'm trying to see if i can find What's the name of that stage? I wish more clubs had as much pieces of, of things. You know, that does take a while to acquire. It yeah, I I don't know how much he how much was spent <laughs> on okay, so like here you can see I've got a drop turner and it's gonna be activated by either one of these poppers. Weird that that line is like that. That's odd, but it's, it show it gets the point across. You can with a if you had the actual WSB, you'd be able to know. Okay, start position is going to be here on these X's, wrist below belt. You're going to be loaded. You can see okay, those poppers are going to activate that, which is a drop turner, and you can kind of get a feel for what's going on. Love it, cool. Yeah, start positions, X's on marks. You've got all of the the shooting box shoot stuff from the shoot stuff area as Shannon. Yeah. Yeah, he really is a big fan of that. Uh, you know, it makes it fun, you know, makes it fun. Mm -hmm. So is there anything um, on here, you know, that you look at? So after you're done designing, um, do you print it out? Do you just look at it, you know, another day with fresh eyes? So sometimes I'll come back and I'll, I'll look at them again. Like the stages that I designed for next week, I'll probably look at them again before I actually write the stage briefing. But what I do is we actually have um where is the button to stop sharing 
deposit. There it is. Uh, we actually, I actually use PowerPoint um, to create a WSB. I'm going to pull one up. So what I do is I take a screenshot of the stage and you should see the PowerPoint now. Uh, I take a screenshot of the stage, paste it in there. And that's what I use for building the stage itself. Um, that's what we look at on, on setup day. And then on the front here, I, this is my equipment list and basic round count. But then the back here, because uh, I print them double-sided, the back here has the actual written stage brief. So let's talk about written stage briefs for a second. <laughs> um, okay, so all you gamers. So you've got to really identify start position extremely clearly, right? It's not hands-on marks, it's fingertips, it's palms flat. It's literally like this exaggerated, it sounds funny. <laughs> but that's well, you have to be specific. Uh, I actually have a really good story. Um, I had a stage um, just the other, just last month, where start position was hands touching marks. And they were the, for our walls are just a metal frame with mesh over it. So I spray painted marks. Well, you could touch the marks from either side of the wall, and both sides of it were the shooting area. So the gamers wanted to stand on the inside, the quote unquote inside portion of it. Uh, with their hands behind their back touching the marks uh, and i looked at the wsb and i was like unless and this was before the match had actually started so i'm like unless i re rewrite this that's perfectly allowable i ended up allowing it because i was just like you know what it'll be more fun that way uh and that's and that's something it's kind of an important thing for a match director is if somebody games your stage you can't take it personally no you need to learn from it that's really good advice. Um, what else goes in a written stage brief that people, I don't know, interpret or that should be clear, clearly spelled out? Um, so the stage brief needs to tell people the round count for the stage. Um, it needs to tell them what targets there are. Um, and it's not, and it's not just because this is what's in the rule book. It's because people, when they walk the stage, they need to be able to count and say okay i found all of the targets yep uh or be like i can't find that mini popper the stage brief is talking about where is it yep uh, on things like memory stages that's very important yes uh to know exactly what the round count is so that you know that you're getting everything uh but anyways you need to lay out the type of targets how many rounds you need to lay out the scoring method it's important to tell people if it's going to be virginia count um <laughs> or if it's comstock Okay, I thought I heard the tornado sirens. Um, you need to spell out the start position, as you said, and be very, as, as clear as you want to be with it. Um, I've taken the mindset of I, I, I'm, not, I'm no longer being super insanely specific about it. I'm just like, okay, inside the shooting area, wrist below belt, loaded holster. Um, it, it simplifies things. It's a lot more repeatable mm -hmm. um, because there's no, well, what he actually meant or what I did. It's all just, no, this is how you, this is, there's no wiggle room there. Right. Or rather, there is, there's an appropriate wiggle room there. Um, 
and then you also need to spell out uh, if there are any disappearing targets. It's very important um, because if there's a disappearing target, that changes how you may tackle a stage. Mm -hmm. And then I always like to spell out what activators are. are. Um, it helps. It just. Yep. T1 activates popper 2 and T2 activates popper 1. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I've seen. I've seen people do some interesting things with resetting the activators um, with crisscross wires and stuff because they didn't pay attention to how the stage was when they walked up and they just kind of made it up as they went along. Yeah. It, the things you see when you're the person that people call, call over when there's a problem are very interesting. Um, but yeah, the, I like to do this style of written stage brief because it allows you to just sit there and read verbatim. And if everybody reads this the same way, then everybody's gotten the same information in the same way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. So for people listening, um, build your stage out on what was the platform again? Uh, the program, uh, SketchUp. So SketchUp and then take a screenshot, drop it into where you're going to put your written stage brief, then your props for you, your round count, your target types, all of that stuff. Um, yeah print and call it a day. And then, okay, so then you're proofing stages. So now say a week out or whatever, you're putting them on the ground. Um, do you actually live ammo shoot, dry fire shoot the stages? Like how do you proof them? Um, so what we do to proof them is how you build the stage is very important uh, because it's a lot better to identify the problem um, as early as possible into building the stage than find it at the very end. But we start by putting the steel down and then we build around that because it's a big problem if it turns out your steel is only 20 feet away from the shooting position that it's supposed to be shot from because then you got to rebuild the entire stage. Oh, yeah. uh, for those of you who don't know, in USPSA, if you engage steel closer than uh, 26 feet from a fault line, um, that is actually, or rather it's 23 feet, but the minimum safe distance is 26 for the stage to be legal. Anyways, if you engage steel too close, you are DQ'd. And so as a stage builder, it is incumbent on me to not let you do that. Yeah. I don't want people to go home because I messed up. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's a lot on your shoulders. Um, but anyways, as far as proofing stages, I have to walk through the entire stage. I have to walk through the entire shooting area, every possible spot that somebody could shoot from. And that includes, you know, checking ridiculous lanes. But I just have to look at the targets and see, okay, is there anything behind them where the paper is going to be that could get shot or is this paper too close to this wall and the edge of the wall is going to get shot to pieces and then i just have to go out and make adjustments we may we spend probably at least a third of our setup time just tweaking the stage and it'll be as simple as moving a target you know three inches to completely change how it's engaged right wow um, but it's kind of just, it's just one of those things you, you do it enough, uh, you get a feel for it and you know, um, okay, this will be a problem or this won't. Right. Uh, but I have to check for safety issues. I have to make sure targets are not available past 180 degrees. Um, and that means blocking them with barrels or walls um, or no shoots. <laughs> um, and then I just also have to make sure the stage is legal. Um, because what you said earlier, you cannot require more than eight shots from a single view or location. Um, I have to make sure 
that if I have more available, that the targets are available from other positions. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, so as far as props go and like, you know, range equipment malfunctions, those are never fun. So how often do you test out your props or grease up that window? <laughs> Actually, one of those windows, the frame is bent. Oh, no. Uh, no, I have to test everything before the match. Uh, usually, like on a swinger, um, we'll, we'll tighten everything up and then we'll activate it you know, probably two or three times just to make sure that, A, it presents where we want it to be um, and, and that it works reliably. Yeah. Um, and then we just have to make sure that it's repeatable with reset. Uh, and that, you know, we'll make a mark on the ground where we want the bottom of the stick to be. And there'll be a mark on the weight, excuse me, mark on the weight where the other end of the stick will be. And we color code them so that they're not upside down. <laughs> it sounds so dumb and so silly, but I have watched so many people reset targets incorrectly. <laughs> Rich Franco, if you're listening to this, plate racks, don't leave the bar up. I don't know. That seems common sense. Um, <laughs> no, but like for real, like the the break action ones, right? The hinge should be facing the shooter. So it pulls forward and not awkwardly yes. backwards with the chain forward. Like there's, there is a lot of contraptions, but yeah. painting your activated target stick stuff really helps shooters know which direction to put it yes. in. Because we've had... should, you want it to be a hundred percent the same for everyone. It's not going to happen, but we can get close. It's no fun to have, to be shooting the best stage of your life, uh, life so far and then hit the stomp box and then the target that was supposed to activate just sits there and stares at you because mm -hmm. somebody put the stick upside down. Mm -hmm. That happened to me. I'm, I'm definitely not salty about that at all. Oh, I'm very salty. Best shotgun run of my entire life. And then the second, when the reshoot came, shotgun jam, shotgun jam, shotgun jam, shotgun jam. And I was like, this is cool. There is nothing I hate more as an RO of making somebody reshoot a stage. I know, I know. Because well, we digress. Yeah, anyways. It just hurts. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so if someone did want to create a stage, uh, how would they go about doing that? And can they send it to you or other match directors, you know, for you to check out? Um, I mean, I, I'm always happy to receive stage designs from people. I mean, I may not necessarily be able to use it verbatim because uh, every, every range is different. Yep. Um, like, at my at Dothan, I have a re restriction where I can't put targets on the ground, um, except in certain areas, and so that means that I can't have a stage with a target on the ground in the very middle of it. In the middle of the bay, I can't do that. Um, so, Didn't but we do I'm it always happy. Put the tire. We've done it. We do it every once in a while, um, but we try not to. Yeah. Uh, because it ruins the beautiful grass. I know. Uh, grassy. I, it it digs holes and it. Um, it, it creates problems. But anyways, I'm always happy to receive stages. Um, email or Facebook uh, works for me. Um, and I'm always happy to provide feedback on stages, uh, be able to tell you, you know, is the stage legal? Is the stage safe? Uh, do I think this stage, you know, I, I'm always happy to provide that. And, I'll, and I'm always going to try to be nice about it, but I may have to be blunt and say, this is the most illegal stage I've ever seen. Okay. If you can't be blunt with someone and they can't take it, they probably should not be a match director or stage designer. <laughs> yep. Yep. You got to check your ego just a little bit. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm great at that. I, I definitely do let things get under my skin sometimes, but I try my best. Mm, true. 
but yeah, if you, I would say, if you want to start designing USPSA stages first, read the rule book. Yeah. Um, because that will help you with making sure your stages are legal. Um, and then secondly, just find whatever works for you as far as designing them, be it SketchUp or the 3D Builder or just writing it. You, know, you don't have to use a program or go out and buy something. You can just sketch it out on paper. Yeah. Uh, whatever yeah. works for you. And then just take it to your match director. Say, hey, I designed this. Do you like this? And if they'll tell you and they may use it. You can even make like a Deadpool drawing. <laughs> I mean, it's usually, nice, it's usually nice to have something with a little bit of perspective so I can know, okay, how far away is this target supposed to be? That kind of thing. But, you know, whatever floats your boat. I would I would die. That'd be so funny. Oh, man. Yeah, so, okay, design, now you have to design a stage in that style and send it to me. I was already thinking about like a penguin would be like the tuxedo target. <laughs> you are not right in the head. No, I know. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about uh, wrapping up with stage designing or any other tips? Um, no, not really. I think we pretty much covered it. We've been talking for a solid almost hour and a half. I think <laughs> I think we've covered everything. Are you running for RM anytime soon or applying? Probably not. I just don't have enough time in the year. Uh, I only have so much time I can take away from my day job. And so I probably won't apply for RM anytime soon. Well, you should one year for sure. Uh, I wouldn't mind if I'm still doing this in five years. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for RM. I think so. I think you'd be great at it. Um, I am actually going to be RM for a Steel Challenge match in November. Yeah. It's a level two, so you can, as a CRO, you can be a a range master with NROI approval. So I was approved to help RM a uh, Steel Challenge match. That's awesome. So that'll be fun. Yeah. It's fun to do this every once in a while. I, had, I really had a really good time in area four or whatever. Yeah. Texas. That was awesome. Great time. Yeah. I know I've kept you for a long time. But I do want to wrap up a little bit with education and shooting and stuff. So, cause it was awesome. So you and I both took a Charles Mossy class. Um, yes. So I got to know what have you been working on at home from what he taught you or have you been? <laughs> uh, I've been working on a couple of things when I have time. Um, predictive shooting. I'm sure he went over that with you guys. Oh yeah. Um, for those for those of you who don't know, it's basically, you know, just getting the gun where it needs to be before you get to the position. Yeah. And the other thing I've worked on a little bit is um, shooting in and out of positions and uh be, just trying to be more efficient with movement because what kills me in my sh in my shooting personally is movement yeah. um but yeah i've tried i've tried to focus on that but it's just the summer has been brutal i know yeah. i know well and we took the class in august in alabama mm, wasn't that yep. a cool time <laughs> yep y'all are crazy um what's your biggest aha, aha moment that, though that you took away from that class um it was kind of towards the end of the class when we were doing we were tying some of the stuff together he had kind of built a little mini stage um and so we had to kind of do predictive shooting and you know shooting in and out of position and then predictive shooting again and it's just the aha moment was when i had the gun exactly where it needed to be the target popped up exactly where i knew it was going to be and I shaved like a whole second and a half off my run from the first time I did it. Yeah. Uh, just from applying what he told me. 
Um, People listening there knew they're like a second. Like that's that's an eternity on a short on a short stage. Yeah, that that's exactly where matches are won and lost. So yes, Um, transitions and movement is everything. Not so much your splits. Yeah, raw ish, but not really. But yeah, Um, how was Travis's teaching style different from other instructors, or have you taken other classes? Um, so I've done private lessons with, uh, Dan at Dothan Gun Club, who's also really good instructor. Um, but Travis, uh, he just, he's, and I've taken, I've taken another class with another instructor who is also pretty good, but Travis really, he really presents himself well. And he, he doesn't, he's, he knows his stuff, but he doesn't show off Mm-mm. in my opinion. Not he, at all is extremely humble, extremely nice, and he really, really cares yeah. um, is the big thing yeah. uh, to me. Um, but I, I like that you go into the class and he wants to teach you. He doesn't want to show off. Uh, and, and if the other instructor that I've had a class with is listening, uh, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he probably won't, but anyways. Uh, Travis cares is would be the big takeaway, and he's really, really nice. He's the nicest guy in practical shooting. That's what I was gonna say. It's almost too nice. And he's so, so nice. And I was telling him when I was shooting, I was like, I want you to be brutally honest. Okay. Like, if I suck, I suck. If this needs to be worked on, this needs to be worked on. I will need fluff, but I don't need sugar coat. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, you wanted, and his teaching style definitely matched up with analytical for me and drawing it out on the board and stuff. And it, it really connected. Um, yeah. cause that was, that was the thing is a lot of people learn differently, but I think everyone just about picked up what Travis was putting down. Yes. So yeah, no, he's, he's really an, eff- an effective instructor. Yeah. Highly recommended. Um, cool. So go take Travis class if you're listening and yes. okay. For Drew, a couple of final questions. What are your future goals and dreams when it comes to this shooting industry? Um, I want to get more people into shooting competition, be it USPSA, be it steel challenge, uh, or even even three gun. Um, I I think that we need more people shooting matches because it is a really fun environment. Um, I've made some really really awesome friends doing this, um, and it's just fun. It is. Um, to me, it's a and if you enjoy shooting at all, you should shoot competition because it will make you a better shooter. Yeah. Regardless of what kind of competition you're doing, uh, it will make you more proficient with whatever tools you're using to do that. So if you're shooting, you know, multi-gun, you're going to get really good at shooting rifle and reloading shotguns and, you know, doing and multitasking. If you're shooting USPSA, unless you're shooting PCC, you're going to get extremely good at gun handling with pistols. If you're shooting steel challenge, your transitions are going to get really, really fast. Yeah. Um, so there it is it really does have real world practical benefits and i think um, putting them all together too has helped me little pieces steel challenge a little us sale three good singled in um yeah. the other thing too right now like how can you advise or help local clubs that are struggling to get uh shooters during you know this time of ammo scarcity and stuff you know what did you change when it comes to your matches to still encourage people to come out and shoot with what ammo they had so I cut our round count down. Um, used to be we'd run, you know, 150, 180 rounds a match, somewhere in that range. It means we'd be running a lot of field courses. 
Um, and I actually cut our round count down to about 130. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like much, but it really, really is yeah. a significant cutback because it lets me run uh, like short courses and medium courses and speed shoots. Uh, but I cut the round count down and I also, uh, I reduced the amount of props that we were using. And so it's actually made it so uh, our matches only take about four hours. Uh, we'll start the match at about 10 o'clock in the morning. And usually we are done and people are leaving the range around two. Um, and so that I think has helped a lot of people in my area because a lot of them have to travel. And so reducing the amount of ammo they have to spend and uh, the amount of time they have to spend has helped. Sure, their spouses help. I like you for that too. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, and then you didn't sacrifice the level of complexity either. You know? No, I've made the stages far more challenging. <laughs> no, seriously, last match we had thirty-five and we had thirty-five people and over two hundred mics for the whole match. <laughs> it was it was extremely challenging. It was basically shooting area eight, uh, but at a level one. Oh my gosh! Well, that's funny. Uh, okay, what's next for Mr. Drew Coleman? Well, the biggest thing on my plate is endless summer blast. Um, I'm also I'm working Georgia State this month. Um, you're 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 shooting that, right? Yeah, we'll see you there. You got to come hang out in our hot tub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jessica, Patrick, Andy, and I all got a hot tub. Huh? <laughs> Seriously, place in the cabin. So nice. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta book a place because I'm there. I'm just I'm there for the whole weekend, so I gotta. I just can't get my own. But anyways, what? We uh, we'll talk about this offline. Yeah, we'll talk about that offline. Um, so anyways, I'm working Georgia State, which I'm not too worried about because it's a really well, really real run, well run match, and the summer blast after that, and then really just gonna be thinking about the sectional because I'm actually not able to shoot nationals this year. I don't have enough time. Uh, I did low cap, which is what I really wanted to do, and I just don't have time for uh, carry optics. Oh, carry optics gonna be way better. That that match was like eighty percent carry optics, which surprised me. Like this, the shift, which is cool. Oh, uh, even in the carry optics, the biggest division at Endless Summer Blast. Uh, looking at the numbers, um, it's carry optics is we could spend an hour talking about just the divisions in USPSA. Next time on Drew Coleman's segment. Um, okay, so any final thoughts? <laughs> I'm an episode version two. Any final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with? Um, just, you know, if you have the time available, offer your help to your local match director. Even if they don't, even if they don't need it. Some of them may not, they may have their own crew. They may have everything they need. They may just say, no, no, we're good. At least make the offer because uh, it makes a difference. Um, and, you know, just get out and shoot and have fun love it because that's what we're in this for we're not in this for the money no we do not make money at this no. anyone no, who no, makes no. you make money off matches or classes or anything you're delusional <laughs> yeah no we, we're here because we love this yep. not because it's productive <laughs> I love it. uh drew any shout outs you want to give to uh sponsors or people who support you uh I'm, ho I'm, I'm hoping HD Gold gets back to me soon. I need to email Brian again about the sectional because I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he will be there because it's right down the road. Yeah. Um, but no, seriously, if you guys haven't, I'm sure you've talked about 800 HD Gold a number of times. 
they, they are the best. They are. And Brian is a, is a true treasure. <laughs> yeah. And if Brian's on at a match and I'm at a match, I'm going to have demo glasses with me, both rubies and gold. So you can test them out. Unfortunately, you with the prescription side, not so lucky. <laughs> you can get yeah. made. You just can't really demo. Oh, I've got a prescription set. Yeah. Uh, VHD gold. So I'm, I'm set and they are great. But anyways. You wear the magnums, right? Yes. Look at that. Yeah, they fit my giant head. I gave Travis a pair of those actually of the class and he was like, oh, these are much better from the gauges. Like, yeah, they're so cool. So um, you said too, how can people find you on social media if they want to reach out and if you want to leave your email or website that they can contact you through? Uh, I'll, I'll just, you can share my email if you want, uh, Drew G. Coleman at gmail.com. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook, Drew Coleman. Um, I can't actually remember what my Instagram handle is because I, I, I just can't remember. <laughs> no, now I gotta go look up. Uh, but you can email me or you can send me a message on Facebook or Instagram if somebody can find it. Yours is so dumb. Super grand bagel. Oh, I yes, I remember that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Tilly, for that little. Anyways. Uh, so there's that super grand bagel on Instagram. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, but yeah, just message me. I mean, I'm happy to help with stage design or getting into competition shooting, whatever you may want to talk about. Drew's a good dude, or he'll let you cry, you know, about your, <laughs> your stage. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have to talk about that. No, we're, we're just going to hint at it. So Drew, um, thanks for sharing all this information and same with you. I'll see you at Georgia State. I'll see you in the summer. I'll see, I'll work your match for Alabama. So um, I love working with you, buddy, and thanks for all you do for the sport. That's huge. Yeah, and you you too. Thank you very much for everything you do. Yeah, it's fun, right? Like you said, uh, give me something to do. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have shooting. <laughs> probably being a librarian. I do like reading. That's a good thing. <laughs> well, oh, man. So for all those listening, um, check out Dope and Gun Club for sure. Uh, Endless Summer Blast is, is awesome. Sorry, probably sold out like you said but for next year put it on it put it on your to make list uh next year and reach out to drew if you have any questions awesome thanks for listening uh and tune into the next episode of the reticle up podcast thanks for listening to the reticle up podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube follow along on social media at reticle up or three gun kenzie